the Mainline Podcast, Adam Jacquez and Tyler Byrne with you as always. We've got a lot to unpack today, fall camp kicking off later this week. We had media day today, we'll uh, dive into that. We'll also talk about a lot of the recruiting updates because we had a big recruiting week last weekend and so we're getting a lot closer to some of these commitment dates. But before we dive in, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good, Adam. Recruiting's getting ramped up. July was a fantastic month for the Oklahoma Sooners. August has the potential to be even better uh you know Emma Jones kind of killed it uh, him and you know DeMarco Murray killed it in the month of July kind of feel like th- this has an opportunity for the month of August to be you know a very similar performance if not maybe even greater for Miguel Chavis and Todd Bates but yeah things are good man recruiting is is on fire right now fall camp starts this week media days going on uh, I've watched the post Malone ESPN college football video two or three times so far today <laughs> we have college football this month it's back it's the uh it, it kicks off, you know, here in just, you know, just a few more weeks. So what I think is the best time of the year if you're a sports fan or, you know, uh, j- just a human being. So, yeah, I'm fired up about it and uh, can't wait to dive into it. Let's go. Yeah. A lot of work has been put in in the offseason by all the players, spring practice, workouts and so forth. But fall camp is where it starts to get real. Position battles are won. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think coaches get a really good feel for, you know, how good is this team going to be? Now, Brent's been really high on this. He has hasn't shied away from that in any media setting over the last three weeks or so since big 12 media days, really just pumping up what he thinks this team could be. So, uh, you know, we're all drinking the Kool-Aid at this point, Mm -hmm. but fall camp starts this week. And like I said, a lot of things are going to be resolved at that point. A lot of position battles, things that uh, we want to see happen there. So I thought we'd kind of start off the show here by basically saying, Hey, it could be on, you know, both on the same side of the ball or one on each side of the ball. Um, not necessarily one player, but maybe an idea, a, a thing that you want solved. Um, you know, what, what two must thing, two things must happen for OU to have a successful 2023 season. Um, Tyler, do you want to go first on this one? Go ahead. I'm kind of curious to see where your, where your <laughs> yeah. head's at with this. So are you doing yeah. one defense, one offense here? So mine worked out for one offense, one defense. Okay. And I'm kind of zagging a little bit instead of zigging, I guess, uh, which, because I, over the past several months or so, you've always talked about the wide receiver room and how I think that's one of the positions of weakness on this particular team. Uh, and I've been more hesitant to say, hey, I, I don't think that position group matters as much because I think you can just find dudes there. But I'm in agreement with you on this one tonight. I think this is one thing I think must happen this fall camp is we need to find a burner in that room. Uh, last year, Tyler, do you want to take a guess? I, I know I'm throwing you you know, a, a question out of the blue here, but... Do you know who had the longest reception on OU's team last fall? Marvin Mims? That's what I thought. I thought for sure it was Marvin Mims, maybe against Baylor or Kent State. He had some long touchdowns there. It was actually Braden Willis. He went 78 yards against TCU, a game that we all forgot. Oh, uh, that's Wiped right. from our brains. Yeah. Now, it was kind of like uh, he kind of had an easy block that kind of helped him run free. And, you know, he's he's got some athleticism. But mm-hmm. other than Marvin Mims, really not much of a burner on this team. Theo Weiss was kind of a guy that he averaged about 19 yards a catch. Uh, Marvin Mims averaged 20 yards a catch. Then you've got Jaleel Farouk, who's averaged 12 yards a catch last year. Pretty big uh, drop off there. So I don't necessarily know that Farouk is the guy that's going to be running all those deep routes necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great guy that you get the ball you know, quickly around the line of scrimmage. And then he's got ability in the open field there to to make something happen there. So, mm-hmm. Andrew Anthony, Brennan Thompson, uh, or is it maybe Gavin Freeman, who coaches were pumping up quite a bit today? Which of those guys is going to be a field stretcher for this OU team? Because that opens up so much for this offense, and we just don't know who that guy's going to be yet. So, mm-hmm. would love to see a home run hitter from there. I think 
at the running back position, I'd love to see a burner there as well. We didn't really mm-hmm. have that in Eric Gray. His longest run last year was 54 yards, but I think primarily that wide receiver room is where I want to see someone who can stretch the field. So that's my number one must happen this fall. Well, and I think they addressed a lot of those concerns, Adam. I mean, you talk about it from a burner standpoint, whether it is the running back position. I think that you've got one in Gavin Sawchuk, but then also a guy like Hollywood Smothers, uh, part of the true freshman class. He's already, you know, turning heads so far this campus, along with, you know, uh, you know Caleb Hicks out of, out of Allen. Um, tied in is one for me uh, that I still am kind of scratching my head a little bit. You know, if you listen to Jeff Levy a little bit today, he, you know, was was doing nothing but praising the work that Austin Stogner has done since his time arriving back in Norman, you know, having a phenomenal spring, uh, really making a, you know, a true difference with his body and his speed and, you know, uh, th- this offseason with Jerry Schmidt. But, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. The one for me on offense that is the biggest question mark for me outside the left guard position, which we'll touch on here in a little bit, it is the wide receiver position. And if you listen to what Emma Jones talked about today, yes, there are there's two guys that that come to mind. You know, with the with the experienced guys that have played, you know, uh, you know, a key bulk of the snaps. You know, each of last year that's returning, and that is Drake Soups and Jalil Farouk, and those are two guys that ultimately Emma Jones and the rest of this fan base expects big things from. But really, I think that for this offense to get to that level of efficiency that Jeff Levy, you know, talked about, that was kind of his. Uh, th- that was his calling card today, talking about efficiency, operating at a fast pace, being able to, you know, uh, attack the defense, you know, 50 yards wide, 100 yards long. And I think that this is something because of the way that Emma Jones has, you know, really attacked the the transfer portal, but also with, you know, a guy like Jaquez Petaway, an incoming true freshman, the fact that he was able to lock this kid down, bring him into this program. I think that between Petaway, Brennan Thompson, and a guy like Andre Anthony, there's going to be no shortage of guys that Oklahoma is going to be able to throw out there that's going to have the ability to take the top off the defense. So, yeah, wide receiver is the big one for me. Um, I kind of feel like that's still going to be a question mark, maybe ultimately until we get into conference play once we start going against some of those you know better athletes on the defensive side of the football. And then flipping it over for me, on the defensive side, in terms of what I think is a must-have what must happen for you know ultimately Oklahoma to have the type of season that we expect and hope that they do for me it's just kind of it just kind of boils down to the front seven gelling and coming together Brent Venables talked about it in his press conference today where outside of Danny Stutzman there's a very realistic chance that the the rest of that front seven could be a completely different lineup than what we saw from this team. Which is You're, crazy. Which is That's crazy which, to think about, right? It's crazy to think about. And, you know, not just does it get you excited, but it also kind of makes you think just how bad was it a year ago? Both from, you know, the, the starting 11 on the side of the ball, particularly on the defensive line, but also g- going back to that competitive depth. Oklahoma didn't have the ability to roll – you know, two guys out there at each position a year ago. I mean, there's a reason why Danny Stutzman and David Aguebu at linebacker position, you know, played 95% or more of the snaps for the entire year ago. Um, but, yeah, I, I think to me the front seven coming together, then being able to figure out that lineup and basically getting things sorted out from the interior out. Figure out who's going to, you know, uh, stand alongside Danny Stutzman, who's going to emerge and take that starting, you know, uh, will linebacker or middle linebacker uh, position, the Mike backer. And then who we've heard so many good things, you know, about McGill Chavis's group with R. Mason Thompson and PJ Adebaware, Grimes, Downs, Bothroyd, so on and so forth. 
but your bread's buttered where you can really see a Brent Venables defense take it to the next level like we saw at Clemson going from year one to year two. It's having consistent difference makers on the interior at those tackle positions. I think I think that Oklahoma, from a depth standpoint, is in a much better situation right now. You've got Coe back. You've got Jordan Kelly back. Those are two guys, two veterans in that room. Another year with Jerry Schmidt. You've got Jonah Laulu, you know, switching from a five technique to a three technique. To go along with guys like a Dejon Cher- uh, Terry, the transfer from Tennessee, Grayson Halton, uh, I think that this is a big fall camp for those guys because I think the talent's there, the depth is there. It's just a matter of can these guys go out there and put it together on a consistent basis in stack days. Yeah, and I guess that comment that you mentioned from Brent about, hey, it could be you know six new guys out of that front seven there other than Danny mm-hmm. Stutzman, I guess that could be exciting mm-hmm. in terms of yeah, like the guys we had last year weren't getting the job done. We're getting some new bodies in there. Mm-hmm. But it also could be kind of scary because it's like, well, last year wasn't part of the problem, like experience in the system and everyone learning everything. And if we're starting over with six out of you know seven new guys there, all of them being transfers or maybe freshmen, like mm-hmm. how much progress can we really make? So two different ways you could look at that particular statement. But I, I'm in agreement with you there uh, as far as my number two must happen this fall camp. And the way I'm, I'm phrasing this is the light bulbs in the linebacker room need to shine the brightest. Essentially, I want the light the light bulbs to turn on for some of those younger guys <laughs> like Jaron Canick, Kobe McKenzie, uh, Desan McCullough specifically, but also Danny Stutzman, a guy who's played a lot of snaps, but he, we all know he can continue to grow and continue to be that field general that we sure. want him to be. But the main thinking I'm, I'm having here with that particular point is that there's a lot of talk about Connor Neer right now, the Division II transfer from Ferris State. A guy that, by all accounts, you know, is, is a very experienced player, a very mature player, a, a leader that you want. The words you don't hear coming out of that, though, uh, in describing him is speed and athleticism. And I'm, I'm sure he would be fine. I, the, the problem I have there is I've seen this story happen before. I've seen it happen with your Brian Mead, uh, with your uh, <laughs> Aguebu. Like, I, I assume Connor Neer is probably going to be better than that. It's, it's better to be you know, sometimes it's better to be in the right position and not be as athletic than it is to be totally out of position and be very athletic. So I totally get that, you know, maybe he's the best option we have there, but I think if you can expand the ceiling for a Jaron Canick or Kobe McKenzie and they can take up those snaps that raises the ceiling significantly more than what it could be with Connor Neal. Well, I think you make a really good point, Adam, and you know, just one kind of thing to, to take that one step further, and this is by no means no disrespect to Connor Neer whatsoever. There's a reason why Brent Venables brought this kid in, um, you know, to play and ultimately, you know, with some of the, the things that Brent's t- uh, said about him, some of the things that Ted Roof, you know, talked about with him today. I mean, this kid can play football, but I think the thing that really kind of makes Oklahoma fans and, you know, us, you know, c- covering this as close as we do, it makes us kind of scratch our head is, There's no reason why at a place like the University of Oklahoma with the tradition and the pageantry and, you know, the the historical defenses and All-Americans that we put out on that side of the football, there's no reason why somebody transferring from Ferris State should be playing inside linebacker at the University of Oklahoma. Not when you look and see, you know, some of the other recruits, some of the other guys that are on campus right now that have such a tremendous upside, such a high ceiling, like a Jaron Canick or a Kobe McKenzie or even a Lewis Carter, who, who you know, is a true freshman as well. Um, you you Kip almost Lewis. just Kip Lewis as well. And you just kind of yeah. have to wonder, is the is the Connor near hype? Is it is it real or is this just kind of a situation where 
Brent and Ted Roof, yes, he is a really good football player, but they're talking this kid up as a way to kind of say, hey, you know, Canick, McKenzie, Kip Lewis, you know, you, you guys kind of need to get after it. This is your job. This is your uh, an opportunity for you guys to use this fall camp to, you know, cement yourselves, at, you know, being in the ones and twos at that position. We'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. Well, I think – I think the the biggest fear that I have on that particular situation is I think Connor Neer could probably be pretty great through the first sure. four, five, five games or so. Mm-hmm. And then it's not until you play Texas that his athletic limitations probably Bingo. get exposed. And so that scares me a lot because we could be playing Iowa State without their quarterback potentially because it looks like yeah. he's not participating in fall camp. And that's totally fine. You know, maybe Connor Neer is exactly what you need against Iowa State. And then you play Texas and you go, oh, man, we just gave up 30 points, you know, mm-hmm. in the first half because we have a linebacker that maybe he can't keep up. Even though he's, he's in the right spot, he knows all what to do. Like, he's just he's – a, he's probably a good player, but, like, the ceiling is definitely limited because, you know, he's a different type of athlete there. So Well, and, and another thing on that, I mean, Connor Neer gives you the ability to kind of ease Jaron Canick or Kobe McKenzie into the first two or three games this season, kind of get them a little bit more, you know, uh, raise their comfort level, get, you know, get it to where they're playing. They're not thinking so much, you know, when they're playing and they're just playing faster. They're, they know their assignments, they, they see, and they do. So uh, that could be an instance where, you know, Connor near could be a guy that could come in and, you know, take, you know, take a 20, 30% of the, uh, percent of the snaps. And then by the time you do turn the page and you're in a conference play, you're going to Cincinnati, you're taking on Iowa state, you're going down to Texas to play, you know, in the cotton bowl. Then I think that that's definitely the, the point of the year where you've got to have your best athletes. You've got to have your best overall guys on the field. Uh, and that's just kind of one of the many different position battles. that's going to be so much fun to follow and talk about, you know, over the course of the next three to four weeks, um, because there is a lot of talent on this team all the way across the board, but at a lot of key positions, there's just a lot of unproven guys that are going to have to step up in a big way, and they're going to have to do so pretty fast with the season being, you know, a, what, 30, 31 days away. Yeah, I think the other side of that element, too, is the guy standing next to whoever's playing that Mike linebacker is Danny mm-hmm. Stutzman. He's the, really mm-hmm. the only guy that for sure has his spot locked down, and it's kind of a pivotal, like, split-in-the-road type of year. This is his legacy year. So is the light bulb going to come fully on and we start remembering him along the side, the likes of Travis Lewis, Curtis Lofton, those types of guys that Brent Venables is known for developing, or does he go more the route of Tom Wart, for example, a guy that, that has a lot of tackles, has flashes of brilliance, but maybe isn't remembered so much by OU fans. So legacy year for, for Danny Stutzman. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, kind of makes Oklahoma fans really exciting. You go back and you look at the, you know, the the distinguished list of, you know, linebackers that have played under Brent Venables, what what they were able to do from the first year in Brent's system, you know, graduating into that second year, the Travis Lewis, Curtis Lofton, Rufus Alexander. Danny is going to have the opportunity to be that next great linebacker, uh, the, the, you know, with, with how he plays this upcoming fall. But, you know, there's – there's a reason why that this kid, you know, is is on all the awards lists, um, you know, going into this upcoming season. He's got, you know, he's got all the tools. He's got the talent. He's got the measurables. Now it's just a matter of can he use what he learned a year ago, which was kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant, playing middle linebacker, Brent Venable's defense. Has he has he matured? Has he progressed? Has he mastered uh, this scheme? And he can play a little bit faster and 
if he can imitate what we saw from that cheese bowl performance against Florida State where, I mean, he was pretty much a heat-seeking missile, then I think that, you know, sky's the limit for what Danny can do in this defense. And if Danny's playing at an, all, uh, an All-American level, uh, uh, I think that sky's the limit for what this defense can do. And uh, I expect this group to make a big jump going into this upcoming fall. A lot of other you know, comments, takeaway or uh, coaches that, you know, mm. spoke to the media, players that spoke to the media today. Tyler, what else stood out to you? I know there's a lot of Kool-Aid flowing, but which cup are you drinking out of, so to speak? Well, I mean, outside of, you know, I know their day jobs is, is coaching defensive tackles and coaching defensive ends, but if Miguel Chavis and Todd Bates want to start a, want to start a podcast or something, I mean, I could, I could we sit there and that listen. work. We could help yeah, them out. Yeah. <laughs> you, but that's, I mean, it's, you go back and you listen to the interviews from what these two guys put out today, talking to the media. It's no secret why these are two of the best recruiters on the staff, two of the best, you know, in the country with what they're doing, you know, cleaning house, uh, you know, in the 2023 and 2024 and ultimately what this, what the staff is going to do in 2025. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it kind of feels like, and this even kind of stems back to Brent Venables at big 12 media days. And you can kind of feel it trickling down to the other coaches in the staff from where this group was a year ago and there as the dog makes an appearance uh, got the amazon driver outside hey i'll talk the, a little bit about yeah, mason thomas while you're you're working with lincoln the dog uh misappropriately named i'll say but i liked what miguel chavis had to say about our mason thomas basically talking about how there's elite consistency um that he's seeing there i, I think that, that tweet came out from george stoya earlier today and he was a guy, I've talked about him, I've gushed about him pretty much all offseason. I think he's quietly, I feel like he's not talked about as much by OU fans, but mm-hmm. I think he's going to have maybe the biggest jump or maybe be one of the biggest surprises out of that defensive end rooms. And I think you're you're going to get the most out of him because of Miguel Chavis. Um, he talked about, uh, Miguel Chavis talked about how he's a guy that, you know, he can coach him hard. And, mm-hmm. and so that's a guy that I think just, fit so well with a Brent Venables culture uh, that he's he's building into this defense of mm-hmm. guys that are going to say, hey, there's a lot of change, a lot of NIL things going around in college football, but I'm here to, you know, work for everything and, and earn everything. And so I love mm-hmm. that attitude coming out of our Mason Thomas because absolutely we need guys in that room that are going to excel far and above any output that we saw last year. Well, and that was one of the biggest takeaways, you know, from uh, Miguel Chavis's media session today when he was asked about R. Mason Thomas and not just, you know, what, what's the biggest thing or what's been the biggest, you know, reason why you have so much confidence in what R. Mason Thomas can do going from year one to year two in the scheme. And not just the fact that, you know, it's another year playing in Brent Venable's defense. And he flat out said Jerry Schmidt gives him the, the, all the confidence in the world that R. Mason Thomas is going to make that huge jump. You know, he was playing at 216 pounds a year ago, and now you That's fast crazy forward. crazy for a you, defensive end. It is. It is. And now you fast forward, you know, August 1st, we're sitting here with fall camp kicking off in just a couple of days, and he's coming in at 240 pounds, and he hasn't lost a step uh, speed. He's gotten faster. He's gotten better uh, technique-wise. And when you can put 24 pounds of muscle on in an off season, yeah, I could kind of understand why this coaching staff would feel the way that they do. And, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, and again – just kind of going back to this point before the dog interrupted me, I think it started at Big 12 Media Days with Brent, and you could kind of see it a little bit from this coaching staff with just kind of their demeanor, their tone. Are we reading too much into it that this coaching staff is very confident in what they have going into this upcoming season, and that's why 
that that's why their demeanor they're they're a lot more relaxed there's there's not it's not cocky by any stretch of the imagination but you can clearly tell that this coaching staff feels some type of way about the team that they've got right now compared to what they had a year ago yeah and you don't expect any coaching staff to come out and say like yeah we're really going to struggle this year but Mm -hmm. there are ways that coaches will say things to kind of um, you know, curb expectations a little bit, typically by a first year coach. And so I think that's an area that Brent really missed on last year by saying, Hey, like we've got to rebuild this roster. Hey, we've got to, you know, uh, implement our, our you know, culture, our strategies, offense, defense, so on and so forth. He didn't really do that last year. I think he kind of left the door open for some, some big things to happen in year one. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. Fans, I don't think blamed Brent, but they weren't happy with the outcome of last year. So I'm, I am a little bit surprised that Brent has been so open and vocal about, hey, we're going to do some big things this year. You know, not saying that exact quote, yeah. but that <clears throat> mentality that he's putting out there without putting any type of like qualifiers around like, hey, if we can accomplish this, you know, there's a high ceiling. So I think that's interesting that he's he's not holding anything back at this point. Let's flip it over to the other side of the football, Adam. One of the things that we heard about from Jeff Levy and, you know, Bill Beanbow kind of echoed the same sentiments a little bit earlier when they were talking about the offensive line and what that starting five rotation is going to look like. We've talked about it all offseason for the last six, seven months that we kind of felt like we knew for a certainty that your two tackles were going to be our, uh, uh, Walter Rouse, Tyler Guyton, and chances are with a fully healthy, you know, veteran guy in Andrew Rame, that's your center then that just leaves the the two interior ta- uh, guard spots. What's that going to look like? We thought that for the most part, Savion Bird was going to be one. McCade Matower was going to be a guy that was going to be fighting for you know his job. And then we put a microphone in front of Jeff Levy today, and he pretty much said that, you're, that McCade Matower has that right guard spot locked down, and you're going to see a different version of McCade than you saw a year ago. Does that, uh, does that make you excited, or is that kind of cause for concern? That's one Kool-Aid bowl that I'm not drinking out of, Tyler. <laughs> uh, you know, McCade Matower, the, the thing, most notable thing that he's done in Norman is get confused for Jackson Dart over at the ranch restaurant during a transfer portal season Damn. 2022. And he's a guy that I think if we had Creed Humphrey next to him at center, for example, I'm probably not as concerned about. We have Andrew Rame, who's battled a lot of injuries, especially in the offseason, hasn't been able to go through a lot of strength routines that – most guys will be doing the offseason. So maybe Andrew Rand comes out and has the year of his life and it makes McCade look a lot better. Um, and I think maybe some element of McCade having that position locked down is probably the fact that Jake Taylor is coming back from injury. So maybe he hasn't been, you know, as full go in workouts or been able to push as much for a starting mm-hmm. role there. But I, I kind of feel like McCade Matower is a guy that he had already played several years at Cal. He came to OU. He filled a hole that, you know, we absolutely needed to have a, a body in there. But I'm not sure that he's a difference maker there. And I kind of feel like he's probably maxed out. Like at this point in his career, like how much more extra can you get out of a guy like that? So that certainly is a concern for me. I'll even say like Tyler Guyton in a way, I know everyone's super pumped about him. He has a really high draft grade. Dude didn't play last year. Like I know that there was a guy in front of him that did get drafted in the NFL, but if, if Tyler Guyton was so much, you know, better, you know, higher end NFL potential, like, should he have pushed for that job maybe a little bit more? Uh, Possibly. Um, but I also I also want a guy that's actually going to produce in college. Um, I know there's not stats around the offensive line, but I want a guy that's, you know, he hasn't had a lot of playing experience in the offensive line. So I want to be able to be fully confident that he's going to 
play like a top 10 draft pick and not actually project Mm -hmm. as a top 10 draft pick because we've seen guys like that in the past that get significantly better once they get to the pros, but maybe in college weren't as effective. So yeah, maybe I'm totally off base there. I've got to push back with you on that. I mean, let's not forget that Tyler guy was playing tight end two years ago at TCU. And, you know, even though he wasn't a starter a year ago, he was sitting behind two guys, one of which was drafted in the first round. The other one was drafted, you know, third round, and both of which have an opportunity to be starting tackles, um, you know. So in, you're in you're the kind of NFL. proving my argument a little bit by saying, like, yeah, he was raw, but he still doesn't have the experience. So I don't want him no. like, getting experience throughout the entire year to only be, be at an elite level of play by game 10 or 11, you know? But I'm also going back to the fact that when Oklahoma, when Tyler Guyton started last year against Florida State in the Cheese Bowl, and he played against Jared Verst, who had you know a yeah. top one, top two NFL draft grade, and he made the decision to come back to Florida State, Jared Verst flat out said that Tyler Guyton was the best tackle that he faced all season long. Good so point. again, when you when you look at Bill Beanbow's track record developing offensive linemen and some of the guys that he's pl- that he's had play for him over the last five six years during his time in Norman, if he's saying that Tyler Guyton has the opportunity has the possibility to be the best all-around offensive lineman that he's coached, then that's some pretty high, that's some pretty high praise coming from a guy that usually doesn't say too many nice things. So you know, so so early in the year, so. Um, I, I feel really, really good about the tackle spots, the the inside of the offensive line. Even though Jeff Levy is very, very confident that this group is going to have the ability, you know, to to run the football uh, down everybody's throats this upcoming fall. Um, I just kind of would like to wait and see because I I've, I think that Savion Bird, Caleb Schaefer, you know, Troy Everett, Jake Taylor, if he's able to, you know, to to take that next step, then I think that the ceiling for at least two, maybe even three of those guys could be a little bit higher than what we saw from McCade Matower a year ago. But sometimes it does take one year in the system and you see a guy, you know, elevate his game and play, you know, a better brand of football going from year one to year two in this scheme. And uh, we'll see. Anything else from media day or fall camp uh, before we jump over to recruiting? What were your, did you have a chance to, to listen to anything from, from Jay Valai today? I heard a few things. Um, I thought it was it was good to to hear him out there talking about. I know he, he mentioned yeah. Josiah Wagner, a guy that mm-hmm. um, just uh, I hate to use the word scrappy because it sounds like a, a player that uh, maybe hasn't or doesn't have the same skill set or athleticism or or anything yeah. like that. But um, as a freshman, you have to be scrappy to get on the field. So sure, I, I, you're continuing to hear that theme. It's not just a flash in the pan from spring practice mm-hmm. because I think you are going to want some more depth. Um, you've got a lot of good accounts from Gentry Williams right now, potentially locking down that other starter role opposite of Woody Washington. But man, the more depth you can have, the better. Yeah, and you use the you took the words right out of my mouth. Competitive depth, and that's not something that we've seen from Oklahoma on the defensive side of the of the ball in a long, long time. Yes, we've had some some really good players. Maybe you know uh, a Nick Benito on, on the defense with the, to go along with an Isaiah Thomas, or you've got you know Oboe to go along you know with a solid you know. Uh, safety, but it just kind of feels like that this is a group because of the because of the way that this coaching staff has recruited out of the high school ranks because of some of the key additions in the transfer portal that they've brought in. It feels like that this is a defense that's going to have the ability to rotate 
you know, two guys at all 11 positions and not see too much of a drop off, especially, you know, along the defensive line and uh, particularly in the safety room with what Brandon Hall's built. But yeah, I think that competitive depth, I think that you're going to see that pay dividends for this group, especially once you get into the second half of the year, late into those fourth quarters. Um, I think that that could ultimately, you know, in a perfect world, best case scenario, you're going to see Oklahoma, you know, five, what was it, Adam? Five of those losses a year ago were, were by one possession or less. So when you've got depth and you're able to spell guys a little bit of time, then your guys are fresher, you know, in the fourth quarter when the, you know, the, the game's on the line, you can have your best players out there uh, fresh and, you know, can make those plays to win. And I, I, again, I know we're, I know we're 30, 31, 32 days away from kickoff, but, I'm I'm starting to buy into it a little bit. Uh, call me crazy, but I'm uh, I'm feeling pretty good about this Oklahoma football team, especially on the defensive side of the football. We have never ever felt uh, so good about no. a football team until August first hits and all the uh, all the <clears throat> practice reports and pictures come <laughs> out, and so uh, we're never going to lose ever again. Cool. Let's talk about some recruiting though. We had a big weekend sure. uh, party at the Palace, uh, Sooners under the stars with some of those 2025 and beyond guys. Um, let's do some rapid fire. I'll kind of give you a headline about each of these different players. We'll kind of go through the list here because we've got a whole bunch of different guys covered okay. here. Let's start off with Michael Boganowski, the safety out of Junction City, Kansas. The headline here, I think, is that he's kind of got a tough decision. It's either say no to dad and hometown school in K-State mm-hmm. or maybe go to OU where you've got the SEC, probably bigger NFL future. And this is my personal opinion. I don't know anything about this, but – Maybe it's a similar Peyton Bowen situation where maybe his heart is, I want to go play for OU, but uh, I know parents are dragging me elsewhere. So kind of a conundrum there for for Boganowski. Well, I think that's – I mean, you summed it up pretty well, Adam. I think that's kind of what it boils down to. Do you choose to follow your heart and go with your gut to go play at the University of Oklahoma, play for Brent Venables in the SEC, you know, big boy football? Um, I think that the NIL capacity, even though Oklahoma is doing a tremendous job and, you know, they're probably allocating some of those funds elsewhere on the defensive side of the football. But, you know, I, I definitely do see the opportunity that he has in front of him, you know, you know, being less than an hour away uh, from uh, Manhattan where he can play. He can be the hometown hero. He can go play for, you know, the coach that recruited his dad uh, a few years, you know, a, a while back. But, yeah, I, I totally see that. I do think that this is one where, the visit that Michael and his family had in Norman over the weekend with the Sooners under the stars, I think that any any hesitation that he and his family might have had about Oklahoma, it kind of sounds like the coaching staff put that to bed and kind of kind of laid out a pretty pretty amazing pitch to this kid that hey, this is this is definitely the place for you. Uh, we're turning this thing around. We're building something special, and you're the next guy uh, to come in and you know c- carry this carry the baton. Uh, for for this football program, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Um, I like Oklahoma, though, in this one. I do by a hair at that point. I think Kansas might be the wild card situation there of like, well, I'm not going to pick dad's choice. I'm not going to pick my choice. I'll that's pick something, Kansas that's something I just don't understand whatsoever. And again, we, we can always talk about, you know, blue bloods, you know, this this team is better, this program is better. That is something that I just simply do not understand. If you're a top two, 300 player in the country, you're the number one overall player in the state of Kansas. If your goal is to play for championships and put yourself in a, in a position to go to the NFL, to me, that's an absolute no-brainer between those three schools. I think so. I, I agree with you, but I think this could be a different situation where you've got dad pulling you one direction. I, I don't, sure. by any account, think that 
his dad is similar to Peyton Bowen's mom or anybody else that has really strong opinions. I, I think there's probably a good relationship there, but it's just hard to say no to dad sure. and, and the school right around the road and probably all the friends that he's with that are K-State fans. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a tough decision. I think that's why you're seeing it lengthen out because we thought maybe a decision might've been made last month, two months ago, potentially uh, at that point. But I think it's just hard <clears throat> to say no to all those people around you. So I think that's probably a good sign that OU is probably where he'd like to go. It's just like, how do you, how do you make that announcement to everyone around on the, you? On the flip, you to be a wild card. Yeah, I mean, on the flip side, though, as long as this, this recruitment has gone on for both Oklahoma and Kansas State with Michael Boganowski, it kind of says a lot, the fact that here we are August 1st and he still hasn't made a commitment. If he truly wanted to be at Kansas State, just a little bit, uh, you know, just a little bit up the road, play the hometown hero uh, story, then kind of feels like that's something that would have already been done by now. So I kind of like, I kind of see where your head's at to where it's the easy decision. It is the easy decision. It is yeah. the easy decision. Uh, next one here, Adam. This is a this is part of the 2024 class, but this kid was on campus, and that is four star offensive lineman Grant Bricks. And Adam, it kind of sounds like OU made their last impression the most memorable. And maybe the most powerful yet. Nebraska got the last visit um, over the weekend, and is a uh, much closer uh, destination to home. Yeah, he's probably like maybe an hour and a half away from Lincoln. He's just on the yeah. other side of of the river uh, in Iowa. There, so not too far away. We've heard the uh, you know proximity to home factor come up a lot with Grant Bricks, but very similar to Boganowski, a guy that we thought probably would have had a decision by now at this point, but it continues to drag out. So I think there's some similarities there of like, yes, OU is the right place to be. They're going to develop me into an NFL, um, you know, offensive lineman. Uh, I haven't kept up with Iowa. I'm not sure why Iowa is not on in on him because I think that would probably be a really great fit as well. So something must have happened there that totally took them off the board early on. But mm-hmm. it sounds like K-State's kind of out of the picture. And I think this is kind of an OU-Nebraska battle. Um, and so... Again, it's another scenario where it's like you're not that far from from Omaha and probably a lot of other Nebraska fans around you. And you're probably wanting to play a little bit closer to home for everybody that uh, you know that's that's in your hometown. But can he say no to all of that and come down to OU, which is probably going to be the better fit for him long term because of the NFL proven track record there? Uh, We'll see. But as we talked about on last week's episode, a guy that I think it's not – it's not make or break for this offensive line class because you never know what some of these guys are going to turn out to be, but he could be the headliner in my opinion. So um, you'd really like to add that piece to your class. Oh, if you're able to gain the commitment of Graham Bricks and he's able to, you know, sign his commitment letter and play for Oklahoma. I mean, I mean, he's by far and away the best offensive lineman in this class for Bill Beanbow. Um, so yeah, you're talking about a guy who's currently a four star. If he has a successful senior campaign, is able to really turn some heads even more so than he already has. Maybe he starts to you know uh, approach that five star status. But yeah, this would be a really really good gift for Oklahoma, considering this summer has kind of been, I don't want to say disappointing, but it's maybe been a little bit underwhelming. For, uh, especially you know if you go back four or five months ago, some of the guys that we thought that we were seriously in consideration for um, that have chosen you know to take their talents elsewhere. So I think if if Bill Beanbow is able to get Grant Bricks on board, I think that that is a very very solid offensive line class, and he could be one of your pillars on that offensive line here in the next two to three years when Oklahoma's playing uh, in the SEC. This next defensive player really came down to OU and Missouri. Of course, we're talking about Michael Patterson McDonald. He just committed to <laughs> OU uh, yesterday, uh, the safety there, a good friend of David Stone. So uh, mm-hmm. take that, Mizzou, I think, is, is kind of the headline there, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully the first of a couple couple more recruiting victories over the uh, Missouri Tigers. But yeah, this is a really good kid, four-star defensive back uh, out of the state of Oklahoma. When you, uh, We talk about it time and time again, Adam, keeping the best players in your state at home, rocking the crimson and cream. This is a guy who, when you turn on this kid's film, and even though the measurables, yeah, they've got him listed at 5'10", about 185 pounds. To me, when I watch this kid's film, he reminds me a lot of Reggie Pearson where he's a little bit undersized, but he plays fearless. He, he's not afraid to come up there, lay the hit on you. He's, he plays really well up in the box, uh, can cover receivers all across the field. I think that this is a really good get for Oklahoma, You know, not, not just because of how talented he is as a player, but you're, you're continuing to get these same group of guys that have grown up friends, that grew up playing together, talking about Xavier Robinson. Now you've got Michael Patterson McDonald, and you know we're just, uh, just a few more weeks away uh, for the commitment of five-star defensive lineman David Stone, who is very, very close with that bunch. Um, he's going to be announcing his commitment, I think, uh, coming up on August 26th. So the fact that you're able to get a couple of David Stone's really, really close friends and kind of like what we were talking about with Jaden Jackson when he committed, and we've had people DM saying, well, do you think that, you know, the the addition of Michael Patterson-McDonald, does that, you know, does that play well in Oklahoma's favor in terms of landing David Stone? I think it's probably a pretty safe bet that it, it it's going to go a long way. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to follow. Uh, August is shaping up to be one hell of a month for Oklahoma. Yeah, David Stone is who we had next on the list here. And he's a guy that just announced his commitment date for August 26th, uh, going to be playing St. Joseph's Academy uh, on that particular game. It's going to be on ESPN. I don't know if you know this, Tyler. St. Joseph's is actually where uh, Samaj Jones is quarterback. So that Ooh. could have been really cool if uh, if Samaj Jones had committed to OU. would have had two OU commits potentially in that game. Sure, um, It'll still be interesting. I think that's a, a high-level quarterback, probably a pretty good team that uh, we're going to be able to see David Stone match up against. You know what's interesting, though, with his, his recruitment is he announced, I don't know when it was, Thursday last week, Friday last week, his commitment date. Been pretty mm-hmm. quiet since then. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that tells you something because a lot of people have come up with all sorts of rumors, um, scenarios that might happen or play out with David Stone. He announces his commitment date and it's all kind of like nothing. Mm-hmm. No, no one wants to ruin his, his commitment by putting in a bunch of forecasts at that point necessarily, but no one's coming up with these crazy scenarios of how he might commit to Miami or Michigan mm-hmm. State or A&M really. It's kind of just kind of just quiet. I think, I think that tells part, you something. and I think part of that is because the current forecasts and crystal balls that are in for this kid are clearly pointing in one direction, and that is the University of Oklahoma. So, um, I think that this is a guy who, as much as he enjoys the recruiting process, and of course you should, you're the number one, number two, you know, defensive lineman in the country. You're a five star for a reason. Soak it up. But it also kind of feels like he's been playing this game for so long that I think he's ready for this to come to an end. He knows what he wants to do. He's got the date set. Now it's just a matter of time, you know, for him to get ready for his senior season over the next three to four weeks. And he can make his uh, decision here on August 26th. Then the rest will be history. Caden Durham, a guy that grew up in the Oklahoma city area, knows Michael Patterson, McDonald knows David stone, knows Xavier Robinson out of Carl Albert LSU trying to keep that Oklahoma city native from returning home, trying to keep him in the boot there. Sounds like LSU may have a slight edge at this point. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, make no mistake about it. I mean, Caden Durham made the trip up to the boot over the weekend. I think that the um, the track side of things has made this uh, kind of swing a little bit more in favor of, of LSU, you know, as of late. But let's not forget, uh, DeMarco Murray is still in Norman. 
And we all know the relationship that, that he has with that kid. We all know about Caden Durham's, you know, relationship with, you know, Michael Patterson, McDonald, you know, David Stone, you know, growing up playing with those guys. He is, he's got a 405 tattoo on his body uh, for, for God's sake. So again, not, not really anything out, but make no mistake about it. LSU and Brian Kelly, they have done a tremendous job swinging the momentum that was, you know, so heavily leaning towards Oklahoma uh, from what's felt like the last two or three months. LSU has done a really, really good job as of late in the last week or two. And uh, this is going to be something that um, it's going to come down all the way to the very end, which is kind of interesting because they've already got two commitments in the boat for running back with Taylor Tatum and Xavier Robinson. And from everything that is, you know, going on all over social media, some conversations behind the scenes, Kind of feels like uh, Oklahoma is making a run and making a uh, pretty positive impact on another running back in the state of Oklahoma, uh, and that's Andy Bass. Yeah, he's a guy that currently has kind of one of those PWO preferred walk-on offers, but his NIL will cover his his you know uh, tuition and, and fees there. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because I don't think he would be a replacement for Caden Durham. I kind of think Andy Bass probably won't get a scholarship offer if Caden Durham goes to LSU. So I'm not viewing him that way. I think he's one that if you're OU, if you're OU, you're trying to pull him in as that PWO and that Gavin Freeman. I know there's a lot of similar yes. similarities there, there with Heritage Hall, but there's a success story and there's a pathway for you as Andy Bass to say, hey, you're coming in. You're not going to have to pay anything out of pocket because of NIL at this point. You're going to be have an opportunity to earn that scholarship anyway because it still is meaningful to say, hey, I'm on scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a guy that I think can play, he can play so many different positions. Like you find a way to get him on the field. He makes an impact for you. Gavin Freeman's already done that. Um, and he's a guy that could potentially have a bigger role this year. So we'll see there, but I think he's one that OU will probably take regardless because he is that PWO situation. Sure. Sure. How about next? A guy that, uh, maybe isn't as big on OU's radar. Fans probably don't care that much. Williams Winery, <laughs> a guy that <laughs> we're on about twist 34 out of 100 or so that are going to happen between now and when he actually commits. And then probably another 100 after that, after uh, he commits to when he actually signs. Um, you know, he got grounded last week. It's kind of crazy to think about. This guy could probably snap me in half, but he's still 16, 17 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what teenagers are. So it's kind of good to know that Hey, you know, that's, that's still happening out there, but so many rumors of, you know, is he, did he make a, a midweek trip to Missouri? Is Georgia offering a bigger bag? You know, what's OU situation? Because we all thought, okay, he's, he's, he's going to come down to OU with all his teammates last week. And that didn't come to fruition. And now his commitment date's kind of more up in the air. It sounds like it got moved back another week. This is the 14th. second time it's been moved. So just a, a number of twists and turns. And I feel like there's a whole lot more coming that uh, we still haven't seen yet. Well, it's just a day in the life life of recruiting a five-star defensive lineman, much less the number one overall player in the country. Um, and I think that this is definitely one, Adam, where when when you're the number one overall player and you're the number one overall player, you're not a quarterback, but you're at a position of such high value and it's so hard to get uh, the, those big boys on the interior defensive line, um, which, and again, from everything that we know, um, williams Winery, you know, he is going to be playing a little bit more out on the edge. But this is a situation where what Brent Venables has said from the time he got to Oklahoma, how they were going to be a coaching staff that valued relationships over everything else, and how they were going to bring kids in that you know shared the same values, uh, had the ability to you know they they buy into Oklahoma's culture, they love what they're doing. I think that this is going to essentially be a situation where 
very, very similar to Boganowski and Grant Bricks where you're weighing, okay, do I choose to stay at maybe a, a less inferior school, but the NIL opportunities there being the hometown kid, having opportunity to play day one, is that something that you're going to possibly go with? Or do you choose to go to a place like Oklahoma who you've got the rich tradition, you've got the program that's going to be coming into the sec. You've got Brent Venables. You've, you know, his track record, you know, Todd Bates, track record going into the, you know, putting players into the NFL and make no mistake about it. Even though Missouri does have a heavier bag, Oklahoma by no stretch of the imagination is, is, you know, uh, light in the pockets when it comes to this kid's recruitment. So it's just a situation that it's going to come down to the very last day. And a lot of people on all three or four sides, whether you're OU, Georgia, Missouri, Tennessee, everybody thinks they knows what's going to happen. But this is just something where I'm going to have to see it to believe it because we've been through this same thing with David Hicks uh, and so many other defensive tackles that we thought were going to come to Oklahoma, but we get down to the very, very end and, you know, they decide to go elsewhere. But um, ultimately this is a huge month for Oklahoma and from everything that we have heard from people that are, you know, having those conversations, people that are in the weeds, it still sounds like Oklahoma is in really good standing with Williams one And it's just a matter of getting to that commitment date, pressing all the right buttons. And then the biggest thing for me of all, Adam, with every single one of these recruits, especially the stones and the Durham's and the Tatum's, you got to win football games this fall. That's the biggest thing. You can sell whatever you want. You can uh, promote your program as much as you want. You can drop an NIL bag. Oklahoma's got to go out and win, you know, nine, ten football games this fall uh, to keep this uh, to keep this class intact. Yeah, you're going to be continually recruiting Winery, even if he does commit to OU on sure. August 14th. Something interesting to kind of keep an eye on there. I just pulled up Missouri's class. I think they're ranked uh, 54th according to On Three. They really don't have. I mean, they have a couple guys that are ranked top 300, depending on what service you look look at. So they don't really have, by, by far and away, I mean, Winnery's the number one player in the nation, but there's no one even remotely close to that in their class. Something to no. kind of keep an eye on there um, and probably a, a part of that consideration there. How about- well, and one of the things too, Adam, that social media has just made recruiting that much crazier. It's the fact that recruit the, that offers get put out on Twitter as soon as they happen. And, you know, you've got, you've got fan bases, you know, no matter what team you're affiliated with that are trying to dissect every single word, every single graphic, every single image that is put out there. And one of the things that has been, you know, um, you know, very uh, favorable, if you're one of those conspiracy, you know, guys, that's part of OU. It's the fact that Missouri has made a couple of offers to guys at the same position Mm -hmm. at Williams one area over the last, you know, 48 to 72 hours. So you pair that with the fact that Eli Drinkowitz kind of is on the heights on the hot seat. If he doesn't win, you know, six, seven games, maybe even eight, there's a very realistic chance that uh, Mizzou with OU and Texas coming into the conference with the, the new TV rights, the new media deals, they do not want Missouri to, to take a, even more of a back seat than they already are in this conference. So just something to keep in mind. There's a lot of variables coming into play here, and it's not just simply a matter of what, what school uh, do I want to play football at. We did get a commitment today, uh, something on Twitter that yeah. came out. Brendan Zerberg, uh, the uh, quarterback that was committed to Northwestern and Syracuse briefly, mm-hmm. uh, is now committed to OU. He's the second quarterback of the 2024 class, three-star out of Alliance, Ohio. I think the headline here is, 
regardless of you know whether he might see the field at OU or what his star ranking is, exactly what the doctor ordered here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the it's the exact prescription that the doctor uh, assigned to, to Oklahoma. And this is a guy that, yes, in a perfect world, is he going to ever see the field at Oklahoma? No. Not when you've already got Jackson Arnold on campus. You've got Malik, uh, you know, Michael Hawkins, Kevin Spare in 2025, as talented as those three guys are. But this is a situation where you you need to have depth at that position group, not just for games, but also for practice as well. You know, um, being able to keep those quarterbacks' arms fresh and you know be able to you know throw hundreds and hundreds of balls to receivers, you know, throughout the course of a camp or a fall practice. Um, but yeah, this is a really really good get for Oklahoma. You got to give props to you know Jeff Levy. Uh, in this coaching staff that they saw that he, he might not necessarily have been on their roster a month or two ago, but with all of the, the the shit show that is the Northwestern football program right now with all the turnover and the investigations going on, they saw that as an opportunity where this is a kid that is very, very talented and he fills a need for Oklahoma at a, at a position of great importance. So this is a good gift for Jeff Levy. Yeah. You, the alternative is you try to get someone from the transfer portal that probably didn't play at their previous school. So I'd rather find someone that as a freshman is going to come in committed. They're going to have a drive. Like they already know what they're signing up for. So yeah, I, I, I think I'd rather have that than I don't want to constantly throw this guy under the bus, but Davis Bevel, for example, like, um, you know, at that point, you know, if, if a guy has been in college for two or three years, they haven't played, they're looking to transfer and they're willing to come to OU and that knowing that, yeah, they're probably going to sit on the bench as a backup. You know, I just wonder how much they're going to make everyone else around them better. Just be and naturally like that's the situation that they're doing. Whereas a freshman comes in, they're going to say, hey, you know, I'm this insurmountable mountain. I'm going to I'm going to climb it anyway. So uh, I like that particular situation there. How about a guy that uh, did visit, uh, did make it to campus this past weekend, was Danny Okoye, a guy that, Mm. by all accounts, you know, there's a long way to go in his recruitment. You've got some big dogs in competition there, LSU, Texas, Alabama, but really, as it stands today, OU might have one of the best pitches and maybe as good a shot as anybody. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's kind of been fun to follow um, the recruitment of this kid. You know, over the last three to four months, it kind of felt like Oklahoma was the odd man out. You know, when this you look at what Danny Okoye, um, some of the visits that he's taken, some of the teams that he's really high on. I know that Tennessee, Texas, and you know, coming off of an Alabama visit a week ago, anytime that you sit down in a room with Nick Saban and he's able to lay out, you know, all the skins on his wall, lay out his track record, what he can do for you as a player in in what is the uh, the Alabama factory that just that just uh, you know sends people to the NFL left and right. But I do think that this is one where there's two things that are going to go into this. It's the continuing to build that relationship with him over the next two to three months, but it's also the fact that if Oklahoma is able to <clears throat> in the month of August, if you can close on David Stone, if you can close on Williams Winery, if you're Danny Okoye and you've got those two other bad dudes that are going to be part of this class, why would you not want to link up and come play with these guys? Because both of those guys are going to demand at least one, probably two guys to block them on any given down. So if you're Danny Okoye, why would you not want to come up here and have the opportunity to play alongside those guys for Todd Bates, for Miguel Chavis? Um, Oklahoma, they still have a long way to go in this recruitment. Uh, from everything that is being talked about, but they're definitely putting themselves uh, in a good position as we sit here uh, to you know the beginning of August. I think Okoye is probably a little bit underrated. I, I don't expect his rating to change much because of the competition level that he's playing, but I think he's 
he's probably should be ranked a lot higher and maybe by the end of his college career we'll we'll see that he uh, was deadlifting sure. he was deadlifting 700 pounds over the weekend yeah. you know with just chiseled so there's your length and girth report for the for tonight's episode yeah oklahoma they they want danny okoye you you do whatever you can to get this kid services because i think um he's kind of a diamond in the rough not too many people are as high on him as Miguel Chavis or, you know, some of the other, you know, teams that are vying for his services. But yeah, that would be a tremendous gift for Danny Coye, much like the next guy we're going to talk about along the defensive line. And that is five-star Louisiana product, Dominic McKinley. Adam, Oklahoma in a good position here. Are they still playing catch up? Man, it, it's, it's kind of, this is such a strange recruitment because Danny Okoye, Williamson, Harry, David Stone, everyone, you know, Oh yeah, OU's got the lead. OU's gonna land that guy. Dominic McKinley is the guy that you continue to hear good things about. Like OU's is in good a position mm-hmm. as anybody, and LSU probably has ground to make up, is what you kind of hear the common theme. It's 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 been the same for the past couple of weeks or so. But yet at at no point does anyone say, We're landing Dominic McKinley. It's always it's LSU till it isn't. And so I kind of think that's that's just hilarious. It's I don't know, OU fan PTSD from past recruiting battles or knowing that, hey, this is a Louisiana kid and LSU doesn't lose those guys. But at this point, like LSU is probably running third, maybe fourth, depending mm-hmm. on who you ask, um, behind mm-hmm. OU, behind Texas, behind Texas A&M. I don't know what order those those three teams are, are really sorted in at that point, but I think you like the the mold of Dominic McKinley and his family and how that fits really well with a Todd Bates type uh, of character. Now I don't know about, you know, the coaches at those other schools and how well they fit or not, but for sure at OU it fits. It's just, hey, how long can you win this, you know, can you run in this race? Because it's definitely going to be a marathon of guy that probably goes into maybe December, he signs January. on early signing day, but he doesn't announce until a yeah. All-American type game. Well, you hit the nail on the head, Adam. It's it's Todd Bates continuing to push all the right buttons with this kid's recruitment, and this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a dogfight with Texas, with Texas A and M, with, you know, even though LSU might be running, you know, a, a distant fourth or maybe even a third. Anytime that you've got a local kid in the state of Louisiana that grew up an hour, maybe an hour and a half away from Baton Rouge. Um, I don't know what it's going to take for LSU. I'm not sure if they're going to have to raid another children's hospital fund uh, in order to to get this kid's services, but um, make no mistake about it. Until this kid signs, LSU is not out of it. But as it sits right now, I think this is a Red River battle, and uh, I, I like what Todd Bates is doing with this kid. Um, OU is sitting pretty right now. And you mentioned it. The reason that LSU is not out of this by any stretch is that regardless of what the relationships are or the way they've rubbed people the wrong way there. What makes up for that is a lot of dollars. So, and they don't give a shit what it, It, whatever it it takes to get, to get it done. It's, it's totally legal. I mean, other than taking it, other than the children's hospital, hospital, but otherwise it's legal to, to pay me an NIL there. So last question to wrap up the uh, evening here and Tyler, I'll go first on this to give you some extra time to think about who you want to answer for this one. Uh, we didn't talk much about 2025 uh, class guys tonight because this one's easy. Still another year away for me, but who or which recruit that visited, you know, do you want the most? And my answer for this, and I almost changed it because the very first image you see on his highlight video is him holding a sledgehammer, and that gave me some PTSD. But oh, I'll shit. stick with my guy here, Kelvin Riggins, the linebacker out of South Oak Cliff. If that sounds familiar, that's because that's where Emmett Jones used to coach, our wide receiver coach. So. Ooh. 
That's a guy that I really love. We've talked about him. It's probably been a couple of months here, but this is a guy you watch his tape. He is fearless in the middle of the field. He's got elite athleticism, elite speed. The way he attacks the ball carrier, that that downhill menace that he shows, I think is pretty special. He's a guy that's that's got a body that's another more length and girth report here. It's chiseled. Hey. He's ready to play a college game. I think he'll probably still put on uh, you know some good weight there. He's only about mm-hmm. 205 right now. But uh, give me Kelvin Riggins by by most recruiting services, a top 250 linebacker as it stands today. So I'd really like to get him out of that 2025 class. Who do you got, Tyler? I'm going back to the line of scrimmage, but I'm going to the offensive side of the football. I'm going to go with – he's a currently a four-star on on-three rankings, but I think that by the time all is said and done, he will be a consensus five-star, and that is offensive tackle uh, Michael Fasusi out of Louisville. Standing right now at 6'4", about 300 pounds, he is ranked – uh, according to the on three calculations, he is the number five offensive lineman in the country, currently the number 28 overall player. When you look at where this team is headed, and we've talked about maybe not necessarily a down year or two in terms of recruiting cycles for Bill Beanbow, but with where we're headed going into the SEC, if you're able to land a kid like Michael Fasusi, who by all accounts, everything that's out there right now, Oklahoma is the leader for and um, ultimately we've got a long ways to go into the finish line, but I can definitely see a world going into the SEC, you know, two years from now, you've got Caden Green and Michael Fasusi as your two starting, you know, tackles. Um, I, I Sign me up for this kid all day long. You got to have guys like this in the trenches, um, especially on the offensive side of the football. Another Nigerian kid too. Uh, it seems like OU is having Sensing a lot of those a guys through. I think that's a general college football pattern that we're seeing. But, um, hey, if OU wants to be the, the school that gets all the great Nigerian kids, I'm all for it. So, uh, well, thanks, everyone, for listening to our podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Tyler, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but uh, we, we appreciate everyone listening so much. Last week's episode, number two all time in downloads after just one week. So uh, we greatly appreciate everyone that's, that's joining in on the show. We'll have some more Twitter interaction here in the future. We've got a national preview coming up. We've got an OU deep dive coming up. Uh, and then a whole bunch of other things. Once the Somebody's starts, coming so. back for a week. Woohoo. We'll see. We'll see. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We will see everyone again next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.